Hi guys, welcome back to The V Word. On today's episode, we have a special interview with Dr. Amy Vodish, who specializes in a bunch of things, but notably menopause at Stanford University. She's got so much to say on this topic. I know we've touched on it briefly before, but there really isn't enough time to get down to the nitty gritty because there's just so much information that people don't know. And let's face it, we're all gonna be talking about it or thinking about it at some point in our lives, so why not now? Producer Aisha Chudari has this interview. I'm Dr. Amy Vodish, and I'm a gynecologist who specializes in family planning and menopause at Stanford. So menopause is, by definition, when we have our final menstrual period, so when we are no longer um, ovulating and having periods, we are then, that event of the very last um, period is then you are considered, is considered menopause. And what are some symptoms of menopause? Ah, the symptoms, there are many. Um, the most common that we, sort of the two most common that we talk about, one is, um, is irregular bleeding, so your periods can start um, to become really wacky. So I tell people this is the wackadoodle period time. You can have um, periods that are super long, periods that are spaced out, periods that are light but frequent. So there is a lot of kind of craziness with your periods that are happening at that time. And then the other, um, symptom that people experience the most are hot flashes or night sweats. And that's when you're basically feeling like you're having a heat wave in your own personal body and you start to just sweat and you want to essentially strip nude in, in public. There's a whole bunch of body changes that are happening. And one thing that I like to tell my patients is that menopause is a normal and natural event. This is something that is supposed to happen. And every person goes through this transition in a different way. So some people transition and they have no symptoms whatsoever and they just are like, oh, I just no longer have a period, but I otherwise feel relatively the same. And then other people feel like they don't even recognize their own body. They have no idea who this person is that's looking back at them in the mirror. So there isn't anything dangerous or scary that happens when you go through menopause, but there are there can be a lot of impacts on your both your physical, your emotional, and your mental health. So some of the things that I hear people talk about are mood instability, kind of weird mood swings, irritability. I basically say your bullshit threshold is really low. Like you are just done. You are not the sort of the patience that you used to have with your partner or your kids or your coworkers is, is essentially gone for some people. Um, there can also be joint issues that people have. So if they have, um, they can have stiffness in their joints, frozen shoulder is something that can happen. And so I'll have a lot of patients who come in, they're like, oh yeah, I've been having all these joint pains or I'm working on this stiff shoulder, not realizing that that has to do also with some of the menopausal changes that are happening. Mm -hmm. And um, how long does menopause last? So the period of what we call perimenopause is the time surrounding menopause, which is that final menstrual period. And so from the start of when you start to have wackadoodle periods um, until one year after that final menstrual period, so you have to go a full 12 months with no bleeding to say, okay, I'm officially postmenopausal or I'm in menopause. And so perimenopause is that time that is surrounding this transition, they call it the menopause transition, where we're transitioning from being, from having regular ovulatory cycles to not having any, um, not a lot of ovarian function after that. And that can last, it can be a decade for some people. So for some folks, it's really short. It can be a matter of just a few months, a couple years, but it can also be a very prolonged and drawn out process. Mm -hmm. 
So I really want to talk about like the stigma surrounding menopause. Um, I was reading some article where the writer was talking about how when she was pregnant, she wasn't embarrassed to say like, oh, I'm forgetful or I'm fatigued because I'm pregnant. But when she was going through menopause, she felt embarrassed to talk about it, especially in her own workplace. Oh, absolutely. That is, um, we don't talk about menopause, I think, enough in society. I mean, I don't feel in general we talk about women's health issues enough in society, but menopause is certainly something that we don't talk a lot about and nobody really, it's like we don't know what to sort of expect. And so I have a lot of patients that'll come in and just say, I just want to know what to expect. Like, what do I believe? Because there's so many um, articles or books that are out there that may that have conflicting information, and so um, it's hard for patients to, you know, for women to know what to really expect. But in terms of for those people where they're having a lot of these symptoms that I talked about, um, some of the other things that we talked about were um, difficulty with concentrating, word finding, um, losing your spot, like like losing your place in a sentence, walking out of a room and not realizing, not remembering what I left the room to go and get. Super common. Really hard for women because this is a time traditionally where you're between 45 and 55 years old. And this, for a lot of women, it can be the peak of their career where they're making tons of transitions and changes and they're becoming powerhouses if they weren't already. And then you're in the middle of a boardroom looking at a room full of people and you can't remember what you're talking about. Or you're having a massive hot flash and you literally just want to strip all of your clothes off, but you're in a room full of people that you're supposed to be in charge of or commanding or whatever. Um, So it's really hard and nobody really wants to admit that. The good news is most symptoms of menopause start to um, resolve themselves after that final menstrual period. So with that, you kind of peak right around that time when your last menstrual period is happening. And then after that, your symptoms will start to get better. So I like to tell people it is a finite amount of time um, and things will improve. So that word finding and whatever will get better. But I think what a lot of people are also really afraid of is this this is this the beginning of dementia? Is this, I'm aging, and is this something more serious than that? And one of the questions we always have to figure out is, is this something that's menopause or is it related to something else? And most of the time it's gonna be related to menopause. In this Harvard Business Review article I was reading, the author was saying that like the answer to like addressing the stigma is just to talk about it more in the workplace. Like some as something that actually needs support and just like normalizing it in a way that it's not normal right now might help um the sort of culture in the workplace what what are your thoughts on that i think that's absolutely true i can tell my patients that are transitioning um you know they're going through all these symptoms but they're overall feeling relatively positive about the experience And a lot of those women will talk about, oh, I've got all these girlfriends at work and we all have our personal fans and it's something that is just part of their workplace culture. And they laugh about it, like having my hot flash and I have the chills afterwards and or they have these little personal fans that they plug into their iPhones um, that powers it. So I think when you're in a workplace environment where you do feel supported and able to kind of talk about it and it can say, oh, I'm having a menopause moment, give me a second as I try to think about what it is I wanted to talk about or what it is I came into your office to grab or something like that. I think women are so much happier and they feel so much more supported. It's when you're feeling like you have to hide everything and you have to try to function as if you're, you know, at this moment functioning with all cylinders, you know, everything's a go and it's not and you have to try to fake it and that's exhausting for people and it's and that I think leads to some of the mood um, 
changes that people experience, there can be depression and anxiety. So if you've had that earlier in your life and then in the menopause transition, that can certainly get worse. And so when you have any sort of background of that at all, and then you're also having to try to function as you did when you were 42 years old and not going through menopause, that's really hard for people. Mm -hmm. My hope is as we talk more and more about it, we get more gynecologists and primary care physicians feeling comfortable about it. If they start talking about it more from a medical perspective, if they start talking about it more with their patients, normalizing that conversation, because one of the things that's happening is a lot of primary care doctors and gynecologists actually don't feel comfortable talking about menopause. And if your doctor isn't comfortable talking about it, then how are you going to feel comfortable talking about it sort of in your workplace or in other places in public? You might talk about it with your girlfriends or your mom if, you know, she happens to still be with you. But um, it's really, it can be really hard. And so from a medical perspective, I think our responsibility is to really educate our, um, you know, those physicians who are taking care of women and making sure that they're comfortable having these kinds of conversations. I think that's a great first place to start. My hope is that as this younger generation is much more comfortable talking about things and are much more open. And with time, will we eventually sort of get away from all of this stoic behavior that we have in the workplace and also women, you know, this leads back to women trying to find their place in the career ladders and trying to find their place in the workplace and their standing. And there was this assumption that you basically had to act like a man and you couldn't have, you couldn't have any of these other things because they were a sign of weakness. Um, so I'm hoping as we get more and more women in the workplace and more and more women just being comfortable talking about the, talking about this, that it'll normalize it. Yeah. So wait, why is that that physicians are hesitant to talk about it? It's for actually for a few different reasons. Um, one, if I think about, I did a gynecology residency. So I did four years of medical school, four years of OBGYN residency. I then went on to do a fellowship, which wasn't related to menopause. But in those four years of residency, I maybe had two hours of lecture a year talking about menopause. There's so many things that we need to talk about in OBGYN. We're, take, we're taking care of women from the time they have their very first periods until the time that they um, you know, pass on. And But our focus and a lot of our training is focused on those reproductive years when women are having babies and we're dealing with pregnancies, infertility, miscarriages, delivery, post-delivery. And that's a big part of our training. Um, obviously, when you're delivering a baby, you, the more training you have with that, the better. And that's kind of a life and death type situation. So those types of um, subject matters are much more of a focus in our residency than something like menopause. Mm -hmm. And so I left my residency not feeling comfortable talking about menopause at all. And I had to do my own, I'm calling it a deep dive, but basically I did my own training in order to learn more about it because I had so many women coming in to see me and I dreaded those appointments. I had no idea what to say to them. And if I think about that as a gynecologist, a primary care physician is taking care of men and women and diabetes and high blood pressure and cholesterol issues. They probably, if they, they maybe get one lecture on menopause throughout all of their residency training. So it's just not something that we're exposed to and so we're uncomfortable with the conversation. That's crazy that, like, that's not something that discuss, that's discussed for, like, the second half of a woman's life. Right. <laughs> well, I think that has a lot, of, lot to do with our sort of views on the place of women in our society, right? Yeah. So if you look at all the people in Hollywood, it's like once you're over the age of 40, unless you're Jennifer Aniston, it's like, well, that's yeah. the end of that, right? You're yeah, you're basically disposable. Yeah. And so 
it's kind of like, well, you can no longer have babies, and so we're no longer going to pay attention to you because what are you adding to society? So when a patient comes to you um, with symptoms, like how, how do you talk to them about it? Well, I certainly I spend a lot of time having them tell me how they're feeling because I just need to listen. My job when I start and I walk into that room is to let them tell me their story because everybody's story is so different. And as I'm hearing different pieces of their journey and what's been happening, it helps me kind of figure out where do I need to tailor this conversation because there is so much you can talk about. You can talk about nutrition, um, because that's one of the other things people worry about is sort of weight gain and and changes in your weight and changes in your metabolism. So we could talk about that. We could talk about management of hot flashes. We could talk about joint pain. We could talk about your mood. So there's a lot of different places that we could go. We may need to spend time talking about your crazy wackadoodle bleeding. Um, So I need them to kind of tell me where they need the story to go. And then depending on what it is that they need, then I can tailor what I'm going to focus the conversation on at that point. So can we talk about management? Um, let's start with hot flashes. Yeah. So hot flashes are a big one. That it, um, I would say that that is the symptom we probably have the most data on in terms of what are our options and what actually works. So there are very minor things that people can do in terms of just changing their environment and especially their sleep environment. Um, because night sweats, if they happen, are basically hot flashes that happen at night and it disrupts your sleep. And as we all know, if you don't have a, a good night's rest and you're not rested when you wake up, everything else is worse. Like you just can't tolerate and handle all of the other things that are coming at you. And for women in their 40s and 50s, oftentimes we're we're at like our multitasking peak. So we're dealing with potentially kids, partners, maybe a, maybe a divorce, maybe being widowed, maybe being remarried. We're dealing with our career, and then we're also dealing with um, aging parents. So. We're, we are like the waiter trying to get through the dining room with the huge tray with all the dishes on it and just hoping that nothing falls off. And so um, it's a lot you know, for people to kind of think about and to manage. So there's a lot of different things you can do. So it's one of the things um, that we have focused the most of our research on. And so there's simple things like our environment. And so if you're, again, for example, having not, night sweats and it's impacting your sleep, what can you do to change your environment in your room. So you can decrease the temperature. You don't want it to be higher than 68 degrees. You may want to have varying layers on your bed so that you can easily kick off covers, maybe just have a sheet. Um, there are very there are specific lines of sheets and pajamas that are moisture wicking, so they will wick away any of that moisture and sweat that you have. Um, and then there's also something, there are devices that you can use. Um, one of them is called the bed jet, and it's um, a device that you put underneath your sheets, and it's blowing up cool air just to kind of help you regulate your temperature at nighttime. If you walk into any Whole Foods or natural food store, there's going to be an entire grocery store aisle on menopause, and this is going to help you with your hot flashes. And there is a lot of sort of misinformation out there and what are the things that are actually helpful and what are the things that aren't helpful. So a couple, um, one sort of natural supplement that works really well for people is to use soy products and soy products can be very helpful for hot flashes. However, most of us are not metabolizers of soy. Like we can't metabolize it into the active form that you need it to be in in order to help you with your hot flashes. So you could eat 20 pounds of tofu and it's not gonna help you. Um, And there are now products that are out there that are soy products that are in the active form. And so there are some natural things that you can take, natural supplements, um, 
and different things that you can do in your environment if you don't want to deal with medications. Um, my word of caution for everybody is just because something is, quote, natural doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe. So definitely talk it over with your um, healthcare provider, whether it's a physician, nurse practitioner, and making sure that that's a good choice for you. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about weight gain? This is so challenging. And I think this is one of the biggest symptoms that really is distressing for women because, you know, one, so much of our value is placed on what our weight is, which as a society, you know, obviously is not a healthy thing, but it's just what we've sort of the messaging that we've been receiving since we were little. And also you start to feel just physically uncomfortable in your body. And you also don't have control over it like you used to. Whereas before you're like, okay, I need to eat healthy, I need to exercise, I need to make sure that I'm making good choices. And your body would most of the time respond to you in some way. With menopause, it can be so hard. So one of the things our body does, which is amazing, is that it takes the fat tissue and all kind of all the fat from our extremities and places it into our midsection. So, and why this is something that it feels it should do with the lack of estrogen, I don't know. but that is a huge thing. So a lot of women come in, they're like, I have this pooch. I look like I'm four months pregnant and I haven't changed anything. And I'll tell women, it's true. If you don't change how you eat and how you're exercising, you are going to gain weight. In part, it has a lot to do with just aging that's happening, just natural aging that's happening and changes in our metabolism. Then we've got this fat redistribution that's happening with menopause. And you put these two things together and it's just like the perfect storm. So we talk a lot about every person is different, but we need to find what it is that's going to work for you in terms of your eating. And so it might I talk a lot about things like intermittent fasting, um, looking at your fiber. We talk about exercise. Like if you could, you know, you're like, oh, I used to be able to run five miles and it's no big deal. I'm like, well, you may need to switch it up and start doing weight training, um, high intensity interval training, those types of things so that you're changing up what your body is used to doing. And then the other thing just with natural aging is we lose our flexibility and we've got the joint stiffness situation that's happening. And so I do recommend things like yoga and Pilates as a way to just keep our bodies limber and moving. So when we are premenopausal, we are having high levels of estrogen or higher levels of estrogen. And that's a normal thing that we need to have in our body. And that is very helpful for um, helping build our bones. And so one of the main things that your body is doing during your premenopausal years is building up your bone. So that when you are hit menopause, you have your final menstrual period and your ovaries are no longer producing the estrogen like it used to, um, then we basically are no longer in a bone building phase. We're now in a bone breakdown phase. And the hope is that you've built up enough bone and kind of enough capital, so to speak, so that as you are slowly losing your bone mass with time as you're aging, um, that you have enough of a reserve that's there. And that's, it's really hard. And some people have really, you know, they have bad family histories of it. And, you know, they can do all the vitamin D and calcium they want to do, but they're still going to, you know, have some issues with that. And so luckily we have... um, these bone density scans where we can monitor your bone loss. And if you get to a point where we feel like we need to intervene in just the regular, you know, either your bone reserve isn't there or the regular things that you've been doing, such as weight bearing exercise, vitamin D and calcium isn't working, we have other things that we can do. A couple of things that we can do to prevent bone loss um, is considering using hormone replacement therapy because that is um, 
does have an FDA indication for prevention of bone loss. Um, the, and there are other osteoporosis type medications. So if you get to the point where your bones are so thin or the density is so low that you have something called osteoporosis, um, then we have medications that you can take um, to try to help you be in a bone building phase, but also to help your bones be stronger so that you're not in a bone breakdown phase. Um, what about heart health? Because I always hear that a woman's heart is protected before menopause and then not necessarily after. Why is that? The, um, again, there's so many changes that happen with this estrogen and, and with the natural estrogen production, it is, there are a lot of heart, um, heart healthy benefits to it. And we can see that as, um, when women go through menopause and that's kind of when women start to have more and more heart disease because they don't have this estrogen effect that's there. We don't a hundred percent know kind of the, the official impact of it. And there's been a lot of, um, varying research kind of looking at the pros and cons of estrogen with heart health. And it used to be back in the 80s and 90s that we thought everyone should be on hormone replacement therapy because it would be protective for their hearts. And then in 2002, the WHI study came out. And in that study, it was starting to show, oh, actually, that may not be the case. And so in 2002, um, that study also showed there was a slight increased risk of breast cancer. And so everyone basically stopped their hormone replacement therapy. So prior to 2002, everyone was put on hormone replacement therapy, whether they were having um, hot flash or menopausal symptoms, because we thought it was going to be protective for your heart and protective for your bones and just overall healthy. And then after 2002, where we had this WHI study that kind of came out and sort of contradicted that thinking, we then the pendulum swung and nobody was on it whatsoever. Now the pendulum is back in the middle where we have more data and more information that shows there probably is some benefit to hormone replacement therapy for um, cardiovascular disease. There, when you take hormone replacement therapy and you're starting it around the time of menopause and you're under the age of 60, in that age group with things like hormone replacement therapy, and so you're getting estrogen that's kind of s somewhat similar to what your premenopausal levels are, we do see a decrease in heart disease and we see a decrease in all-cause mortality rates. Mm -hmm. And so there is some protection that's there, um, but at this point the data isn't strong enough for us to go back to the way we were in the 80s and 90s and say everyone should be on it no matter what. So now it's much more of a tailor-made conversation about let's look at all the pros and cons. But if someone was coming to me and the only thing they wanted to do was heart prevention, um, I would not put them on hormone replacement therapy just for that. It, mm -hmm. That's not an indication, but it is an interesting side effect that we're kind of monitoring at the moment. So who's a good candidate? So there aren't a lot of contraindications to hormone replacement therapy. A lot of people are candidates, but if you have things like um, high blood pressure, if you've had a history of a blood clot um, or a stroke, or if you've had a personal history of breast cancer, then those would be people that we wouldn't consider hormone replacement therapy for. Mm -hmm. What are some like misconceptions about menopause that you hear often? You know, it's interesting because what's really interesting is that in my practice, of course, I see all the women who are having terrible menopause. And so there's this perception that menopause is awful. But if there, if you, there was a really interesting study that looked at a large proportion of women and actually the majority of them felt like there were a lot of benefits and they felt better after menopause. So I think in this, um, sort of the messaging in the media is like menopause happens and then it'll, you know, it all this, you know, the wheels fall off the bus and forget it that like you're on your, you're on the back nine kind of thing. But the, but really a lot of women 
feel so much better when they get through menopause, especially if, if they have things like um, menstrually related migraines, if they have really bad migraine headaches, which can be so impactful to people's lives. Once they go through menopause and they're no longer having these horm normal hormonal fluctuations, they're like, I don't have any headaches. I feel like I've been given my life back. And the on the others and, and another example of that are women who have had terrible bleeding where they've just had terrible periods and they've been horrific and it's, it's like they've gone out with like a tsunami mm -hmm. um and once they finally get through menopause they're a lot happier too so i would say one of the biggest things is people in general think that menopause is horrible mm -hmm. and is this horrible thing that's happening and they're trying to fight it and they want to quote try to stay young and they don't want this to happen to them but really it's a natural and normal thing that occurs and a lot of women are really happy when they go through the transition what about sex drive oh yes Sex drive is hard. Um, man, is that a difficult topic. And that is super common. They talk about, I have no libido. I have no sex drive. I'm just, I am just not interested. And for women, libido is so multifactorial. It is so much related to our physical, mental, and emotional health and a lot to do with our emotional connection with our partner. And what's really hard is sort of separating out, and a lot of women will be like, it's a hormonal problem. And there may, in fact, be some hormonal component to it but oftentimes there's so many other things that are related and again kind of going back to what i talked about with this is the time of our lives where we are multitasking like crazy when women are that kind of sort of stressed out and balancing so many different things our sort of our sex drive and our libido are one of the first things to go and so it's not uncommon to have this happen especially with um, couples who have children and they're putting all of their energy and focus on the kids by the time the kids get to bed they just want to sleep like they're so tired and so when you're sleep deprived and you're stressed out and you never have a moment to just sit down and relax it's really hard to even think about being interested in sex so it's a super common thing but we have to sort of look at it from a very multifactorial um standpoint yeah does it come back you know for some people it, it does um and sometimes you have to do work you have to work to get it back. Um, there are some really cool apps that are out there. There's one called Meet Rosie. Um, it's a app that is designed by a gynecologist who specializes in sexual dysfunction and sexual issues. Um, and it has all kinds of content on it. It's it's really cool. And it was, um, I think it's, again, starting to get this conversation out in the forefront so people know that there are options. It isn't like, well, I've gone through menopause and I've, you know, I'm just all shriveled up and forget it. You know, The other aspect about libido that is interesting is that when you go through menopause, there are changes that are happening in the tissue of your vagina. And so your vagina becomes, the vaginal tissue becomes thinner, it's not as pliable, it doesn't lubricate as well, so sex can become painful. We have things that we can do to treat that, and once we get that treated, then sometimes the libido will come back because they're like, oh, this isn't going to be excruciatingly painful, which it shouldn't be, and we can do things about that. Yeah. Is there anything that determines when a woman might go through menopause? Like, I've heard that the more kids you have, the later it'll happen. Is that true? No. I wish we had a, a ball, or a crystal ball that we could look at and predict for women because they really want to know, especially right now when we are delaying childbearing you know, later and later. And although we have options for egg freezing and, and IVF and you know, all these assisted reproductive technologies, which are wonderful, you know, women really want, they're like, when, when is the window really closed for me? And we cannot predict that. Sometimes we'll look at sort of what's happening with their, if they have sisters or their mom and kind of what happened with them. 
But I've had people who have been complete outliers. They're like, oh, everyone in my family went through it at 50, but I went through it at 58. You know, so it's something different. So it's it's super hard to predict. Yeah. Uh, one of the things on the prediction um, is once you start to have really wacky bleeding, um, usually at that point you're a couple of years away from having your final menstrual period. That's not super helpful because a couple of years is very vague and it could be sort of shorter for people and longer for people but sometimes I can kind of frame it in that way but otherwise it is really challenging to um, really challenging to um, to treat um, one of the things I wanted to add about the therapies for menopausal symptoms is there is really a role for hormone replacement therapy and when it's done right and done thoughtfully I think it can make a huge impact for people and a huge impact on women's lives. And I've had women call me, they're like, you have changed my life. I feel like I got my body back. I feel like I got myself back. Um, but because we don't have that many people in sort of traditional medicine roles who feel comfortable with hormone replacement therapy, who are comfortable talking about it, women aren't finding what they need in at their regular doctor's office. And so they're going outside to other places and they're um, getting... Um, hormone replacement therapy that is called bioidentical and it's considered to be all natural and it's supposed to be healthier and it's supposed to be better for you. And my argument to that is that none of that is actually true. And so there are times and places where I need to do a compounded um, hormone replacement therapy. So generally hormone replacement therapy, um, what I like to use are what are considered bioidentical hormones. So hormones that are similar to what your body normally makes when you're premenopausal. But the FDA does have FDA approved, we have FDA approved options for bio, for these bioidentical hormones. So I like bioidentical hormones, but I like the ones that are FDA approved because then I know exactly what you're getting. With the compounded, when you go to a compounding pharmacist or you go to somebody who's pushing all these various potions and concoctions that they make, you have no idea what you're getting. And they try to say that it's all natural, but the base products that they're using in the compounding pharmacies are the exact same base products that the FDA approved products are made from. So they all start from the same source. It's just whether or not it's being regulated. So I know exactly what you're getting every single time you, let's say you're using an estrogen patch. Every time you're using an estrogen patch, I can 100% tell you what's in there versus something you're getting at a compounding pharmacy where it could vary from batch to batch. And so I just want to put out there for people who are listening, a word of caution of going out into the community for people who may not have really an understanding, um, of what's happening. And I'm always very skeptical skeptical of places where you are paying cash for their services because I, it makes me wonder what kind of checks and balance system is there. And so if you are feeling that way and you're feeling like your own doctor isn't helping you and so you want to go out and, and meet with somebody who's maybe a little less traditional, I completely understand that desire to do so, but just try to be really thoughtful about it. Um, and if you can, try to find a gynecologist or a primary, primary care doctor who is comfortable talking about different types of um, treatment options just to make sure that you're doing something that is safe because you really can have some serious side effects if you are using medications that you don't understand what you're taking. Mm-hmm. I think there are definitely some socioeconomic disparities that are there as we see across basically all aspects, unfortunately, of our society. The um, women who are educated and have uh, more financial means and stability are more likely to reach out and ask for help. Um, 
and I think it comes down to sometimes an educational, just a knowledge base of not even knowing that there's anything that you can do to make things better. Or, and also there can be issues with trust in the medical center. I mean, we just have a lot of, I think, mistrust of organizations in general right now. Trying to get that word out there and trying to have people understand that there are options and resources that are out there that are available for everybody. And it's, you know, and my hope is that we, as again, as we talk more and more and more about it, we're able to reach all women from all different backgrounds and making sure that they're receiving the care that they deserve. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for having me. If you've liked this episode of The V Word, please visit us at www.vwordpod.com and listen, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at vwordpod. Thanks for listening.